God, we hate silence. But in silence, we get to hear your small, still voice. We love worship because it tunes our heart with your heart. We love gathering as faith communities because we understand there's great power as we gather in community to worship a God who is still going in front of us. For my friends here at Daybreak, God, as we keep looking at the future, give us the wisdom to see the things that you see. For my friends at, Day- at Renfrew, God, the frustration that we feel of not getting into our building yet, help us see what you see. Help us refine what needs to be refined. Help us understand that in time, we will be there. We thank you that you are a God who works. You're the way maker. You're the promise keeper. Lord, as, as we dedicate this song to you, it's not because there's some great words that were written by a human author. These are words that are true that we find in Scripture about you. And so, God, we claim these promises for our life, even in the midst when we don't see you working. We love you in your name. Amen. Welcome to, to Daybreak and, and Renfrew together. Uh, we decided that we are better together. That's a great scriptural principle. This morning, I, I want to talk to you, some of you that may be disappointed in this season of life that you find yourself in. For some of us, it's not that we don't believe in God. We do believe in God. We would say our belief in Him is very strong. But you might not be seeing His goodness in your life. For some of you, you maybe had hoped for a a point in your life that you would be financially strong. So that you could bless other people. Instead of being financially strong, many of you, you don't know how you're going to make it through this month. You thought you'd be somewhere else and you find yourself in the same place. For some of you, you dreamed of having a God-honoring marriage and your dream has been put on hold or worse off. For some of you, your dream has turned into a nightmare Some of you thought that this time in your life you'd be happy and content, you'd have a great ministry, you'd be full of joy. Instead, you feel lonely, anxious, and depressed. If you're hurting, and maybe you feel just a bit hopeless, and you're trying over these last five weeks to find the faith to hope for something better, you need to hear me say that I am sorry. My heart aches for you. If I could fix it, I would. But I would say this, that it's incredibly important for you to speak up. For you to speak up in community. I understand it. Because there are times when I will preach with all the faith that I have, but on the inside, my heart is not where the words are. So today, I'm simply praying 
that God would speak to some of you, that you would find you would have hope, that your, your faith would be built up as we look at this final study on the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles, you can kind of flip with me as, as we go here. If you remember in, in Ruth chapter 1, Ruth hit rock bottom. She and Naomi had lost both their, their husbands. They were widowed. They had no job. They had no money. They had no provision. And usually when those things go, what happens is you lose hope. We could say this in chapter 1, that Ruth experienced heartbreak. She experienced loss. She experienced very real and deep pain. Then she made a decision. Do you remember that decision? She decided that she was going to leave the sinfulness of the place where she was in Moab and pursue the one true God of Israel in Bethlehem. In chapter 2, we would see that she worked hard in the fields and she waited and she served. You remember me saying this over the last few weeks, instead of selling her body, like many women would have been forced to do, she went and there was that scriptural word gleaned. She worked in the fields of a man named Boaz. She served faithfully, just waiting on God. We all remember this, Boaz asked her to lunch. They appeared to have what was a a perfect little date. She got pretty excited. Maybe this guy's the one. Maybe he's going to be the one that redeems me. Remember, kinsman redeemer. He's an honorable man. He's wealthy. He's a man of standing. Then he kind of got busy. And he just kind of overlooked her. So then in chapter 3, if you flip to to chapter 3, she does a few things. She initiates. She surrenders. She trusts. She initiates. She put herself in the path of this guy. She put herself at the foot of the bed. Remember that? That's not something we talk about in premarital counseling. She said, hey, Boaz, remember me? She was available to him. She trusted him and she waited. This week, we're actually going to discover that Boaz actually redeems her and he marries her and God blesses them. Together they have this son that we referenced last week at the end named Obed. And Obed's name means servant of God. So in chapter 4, we see God's goodness when she is redeemed by a man of God. She's restored by the blessings of God. And her community, her faith community, starts rejoicing and celebrating the goodness of God in their lives. It's a journey. From chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3 to chapter 4. And I want to talk to you this morning. Many of you feel like you're stuck in chapter 1. I I want you to hear me when I tell you that God loves you, He cares about you, and He's with you. Maybe for some of you, you find yourselves in the in-between. You're waiting. Maybe you're in chapter 2. Stay faithful to God in chapter 2. Keep trusting God in chapter 3. My prayer for you this morning is that you discover that God's plans for you are better than you can imagine. Because God's good. God is faithful and God is true. So let's pick up where we left off last week. Do you remember that Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth? 
And there was that other relative who is more closely related, and the author of the book calls him Poloni Alimony. Remember what that meant? It meant Mr. No Name. A, a muted name. That means like John Doe today. That means we're not even going to say your name. And so Boaz and goes and meets with this man. Basically, Boaz works his plan. He makes a deal. That's where we left off last week. So that he can marry Ruth, provide for her, protect her, bless her as his, kins, as his kinsman redeemer. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at verse 11 of chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, verse 11. It'll be on the screen behind me. The elders... And all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. We see it. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrah. And then these five words, And may you be famous in Bethlehem. May you prosper and be famous in Bethlehem, the elders pray this one little prayer of faith. Suddenly we see that one prayer resulted in a huge changed life, a changed family, and ultimately a changed legacy that would impact us even today. One prayer. What I want you to understand this morning is never underestimate what God can do through the power of responding to one prayer. Some of you may feel stuck right now. And you may be one prayer away from the blessing that God wants to bring in your life. Now, for you that attend Renfrew, you need to know the council this week has constantly been praying and we've constantly seen God answering our prayer. Not always the way we wanted Look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife when he made love to her. Ignore that part. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gives birth to a son. The Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. We see how this one verse, one little verse is an answer to one prayer that that clearly demonstrates how God can take years of brokenness and turn that brokenness into blessings. And when I say years of brokenness, you have to remember that Ruth and Naomi experienced 10 years of misery in Moab. In other words, sometimes a chapter may last for a little, little bit longer than you want. And then she makes it one decision. She decides to leave Moab and turn to the God of Israel to return to Bethlehem. Friends, someone prays one prayer of faith, and the prayers and the results, sorry, are dramatic. It's not only a changed life, it's, only, it's not only a changed family, but this is a changed legacy that even impacts all of us today. How did this all come about? There's a phrase in our verse that I don't want you to miss. That is this, the Lord 
enabled. In fact, there's a a phrase in Hebrew I want to show you that is translated as the Lord enables. It is the phrase Yahweh, way ye ten. Now, Pastor Lyle can say it way better than me. I love this phrase. And it's actually translated different ways by different Bible translations. Let me show you four of them. They're going to come on the screen. In the NIV, the translation many of us read often, it says the Lord enabled. Another version, the ESV, translates translates it as the Lord gave. Another version, the CSB, says the Lord granted. And finally, the Good News translation says the Lord blessed. No matter how you say it, it was the Lord who did it. God is a giving God. He's a granting God. He's an enabling God. He's a blessing God. The Lord enabled for you, for you sitting in front of me, for me standing here. There might be a different translation of the verb for you. It might not be that the Lord enabled, but it might be that the Lord provided Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord healed, or the Lord answered or the Lord restored for somebody, or it might be the Lord opened a door. See, the Lord proved himself faithful. The Lord made a way when there was no way. It was the Lord who enabled. Whatever you're facing today, I want you to know that God is able. Ephesians 3 in the New Testament, verse 20, it says this, Now to him who is able to do way more, immeasurably more, Then all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. He is able. Whatever you need, God can do it and God can do even more than everything you could imagine. Now I know what some of you are thinking right now. I might be thinking the same thing that you're thinking. If he can, why didn't he? If he can do it, why hasn't God done it? If God is able, then why am I sitting here waiting on him to do it? I'm guessing that might have been something similar that Ruth would have thought way back in chapter 1. If if you remember, her husband died. That wasn't her plan. So she turned to God, and she was very loyal to Naomi. Remember those words, wherever you go, I'll go? Wherever you are, I will be. You'll be my God. I'm going to worship the same God. I'm sticking with you. She's stuck with her grumpy, bitter mother-in-law. Then her sister, her sister, sorry. Sister, wow. <laughs> suddenly we're breaked. <laughs> suddenly, wow. Wow. Exactly. Back. I live in an interesting neighborhood in Calgary. Uh, then her sister, her sister, why am I? <laughs> this is a mess today. Or remember, it wasn't, <laughs> wow. Let's start again. She's stuck with her grumpy, bitter mother-in-law. Then her sister, or thank you, thank you. I have comedy later this afternoon. It's my part-time job. Or Oprah bounced. She's out. Her sister-in-law, she's gone. So this woman, Ruth, is broke. What does she do? 
She goes out early in the morning to late at night. She gleans in the field. Remember, Ruth is just trying to have enough food to survive. Finally, after she's working her brains out, her fingers are raw. She meets this guy who might be the one who seems to be interested in her. And then that guy ignores her. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing her words would have been, God, where are you? God, I thought you sent Boaz, a man of God, a man of standing. I thought he was going to be the one who was going to redeem me. Now I'm waiting. Where are you, God? Why didn't you do what I thought you were going to do? Maybe you ask, why didn't you heal the personal love when I prayed? Why didn't you save my marriage, God? Why didn't you come through in a way I thought you were going to come through? Where are you, God? And you're waiting. And you're stuck in chapter 2. You're stuck in chapter 3. I want to remind you that even while you're waiting, God is still working. Even when you can't see it, it doesn't mean he's not active. What I love about Ruth is even when she didn't see anything, she kept her faith. She didn't let her current situation or current circumstances define her view of God. She kept on trusting. Why? Because God is able. Whenever you need, he's able. He has an answer for every problem you face. Whatever you need, God is able. Our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you could ask, think, or imagine. Whatever you can think of, our God can do, and he can do it even more. Whenever or whatever you need God to do, he is able. You see, we see the provision in Ruth. Look at verse 14. The women said to Naomi, the mother-in-law, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he be famous throughout Israel. Could we pause just for a moment and notice why they're worshiping God? It's not because Boaz is rich. It wasn't because finally the daughter-in-law got married. It wasn't that they finally got to go on their dream vacation. But it was that God was providing a family legacy to change the world. God was breathing life into them. Look down at verse 14 through 16. I'm just going to summarize it for you. All life comes from God. Life is a gift from God. And we see them praising God that he provided for them. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been been better to you than your seven sons. They've been better to you than seven sons. It's important to note that they're celebrating God's blessings now to Naomi. Friends, this was nowhere close to her plan. She never planned to leave Bethlehem to go to Moab. Her husband took her there. She never planned for her husband to leave her to die and be destitute. That wasn't her plan. 
This wasn't anywhere close to her plan. But God always has a better plan. This baby, Obed, which means servant of God, and Ruth loved Naomi and was better. Better than her seven sons. Some of you are in a place right now that you didn't plan. You may be disappointed where you are. I want to remind you that the goodness of a God who is able and whose plan is always better. God's plan is always better. In 1994, a young couple, Matt and Michelle, got married. We moved to to Calgary. We started working at Grace Baptist Church in Calgary. Michelle, as the government referred to her, was an illegal alien. We had to keep renewing work permits. Matt was a young youth pastor. As they looked for their first home, they looked in the neighborhood right by Grace Baptist Church in the northeast of Calgary. And we had picked out a home, and as we went to get our financing, the bank said, well, the illegal alien, we can't count her money, and your money's not enough, so you can't have a home. We left discouraged a few weeks later. We ended up in the south of Calgary, to a house that was way more money. And the guy went, oh, we can get that done today. That house, and I can remember signing for my first house at 100,000, thinking, how am I going to afford this? This is suicide. That house has set my family up incredibly well. Even when we don't know that God is working, God is working. God is able. His plan for you is better. So when you don't get the job you want, tell yourself you're in chapter two, or maybe you're waiting in chapter three, that there's something that God has for you in chapter four that is even better than what you wanted in chapter two. God's plan is better. When you wanted to marry that person and you don't get to marry that person, tell yourself God's plans are way better. He's got something better. God's got somebody coming for you that's going to make you thank God all day long that you didn't marry that one a long time ago. There are some of you right now, you had different plans for this weekend, or you were going to watch something on YouTube this morning. But God had a different plan, and you're here. Because God wants to say to you something that he is able, and God's plan is better. God's plan is better. Look down at verse 17. We see this. It says, The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. (laughs) Why does that matter? Then the end of Ruth goes into this kind of lineage who came next and who came next and who came next. You remember one of the major themes we've talked about in Ruth is the providence of God? What's the providence of God? It's when God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. Remember we said this, in the book of Ruth we see no miracles. We don't see the parting of the Red Sea. We don't see anyone walking on water. We don't see anybody being raised from the dead. What we do see is the miraculous providence of God when he uses natural circumstances 
to bring about his will. Last week we talked about the providence of God and we said it's a lot like Hebrew. The Hebrew language, for those of us who read English, you actually need to read it backwards. Maybe that's why we're networked, guys. For a moment just like this. See, the providence of God is best understood when we view it backwards. Let me show you who we are as Christians. We are followers of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about our lives is about Jesus. We seek him first. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's our King. He's our righteousness. He's the door through which we enter. He is the Good Shepherd. He's the Living Vine. His name is Jesus. As we look at the lineage we looked at last week, we see Jesus. And as we read it backwards, just like Hebrews, just like the providence of God is best viewed backwards, if you wake up somewhere in life and you don't want to be here and you're disappointed and you're hurting and you're waiting, remember, while you're waiting, God is still working. God is something better. I'm going to show you something that's pretty emotional to me. I want to show you the progression of Ruth's identity. This is what we might refer to, and people refer to it as a little Easter egg. It's a buried treasure. We're going to watch as Ruth's identity is strengthened by the presence of a loving God and and watch the way she sees herself change as she gets to know God even better. Early on in chapter 1, she says she sees herself as Nakariah. In the Hebrew language, this means I'm a foreigner. I don't belong here. In chapter 2, she sees herself as Shippa. She says to Boaz, I'm lower than even your servants. I'm not even worthy to be your servant. I'm lower than that. Then in chapter 3, she sees herself as a step up. She says, I'm a Hama. I'm your servant, Boaz. And in chapter 4, guess what she is? She's an Isha. I'm your wife. As she gets to know the goodness of God, her identity starts to change. Some of you right now, spiritually, you feel like a foreigner. You're not even good enough to be a servant. So low in the places and things of God, but as you get to know God, he changes how you see yourself. Even as churches, we are his bride. You could become exactly who God calls you to be. In the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book of Ruth, the gospel is all over this book. Who is Ruth? She's a foreigner. She's a stranger. She's lost and broken in Moab. She leaves Moab and pursues the one true God in Bethlehem. She feels lower than a servant. She's not even worthy. She's a sinner. Boaz loves her. He redeems her. And he restores her and saves her. Not even as a slave, not even as a servant, but as a wife, as a family member. That's why I came to tell someone, if you're in Christ, this is your story. If you've been born and and made new by the grace of Jesus, this is your story. Because all of us could look back at one time in our life where God felt far away. We were hurting, we were broken, and felt hopeless. 
And God had something better for you than you could even imagine. See, God sent his son, his only son, the Lamb of God who was without sin, who shed his blood and died and rose again so that anyone who calls on him would be safe and transformed. See, we see the same story in the New Testament. Paul told us the same story in the New Testament when he said this, don't forget that all of us used to be Gentiles. We were outsiders. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now somebody, now you have been united with Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Scripture says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. Along with God's holy people, you are members of God's only family. You're a wife. You're the bride of Christ. You're an ambassador to the Most High God. Daybreak, Renfrew, you're the light of the world. You're a child of the living God, a joint heir of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are. When you know him, you're not stuck in Moab. You find blessings in Bethlehem. So if you're stuck in the in-between, stay faithful to God. While you're waiting, God is still working. Even now, you may feel like you're in the middle of brokenness. But God's plans are always better. Think of chapter 4. His blessings are real. Uh, What I want to do, and I'm going to get you to, to... just bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to get you to respond in in prayer. For some of you, you feel like you're in chapter one or two. You're stuck. And part of that is just going, God, I don't have it all together. God, I need you. Most mornings when I wake up, my prayer is, God, I need you today. And so if you're feeling like you're stuck in chapter one or two, I just want you to raise your hand. Nobody's going to look. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm, I'll close off this part of the service just in prayer. So if you feel like you're stuck in chapter one or two, just raise your hand. God, you see the, the prayers of, of my friends who have raised their hands. God, we know that at times in our life we need to be like Zacchaeus who climbed a tree just to see Jesus because he knew his life would be changed. Or the woman who grabbed the cloak of Jesus just because if I can just get Jesus to notice me, my life will be changed. Thank you for the honesty of my friends who feel like they're just stuck. Thank you that even when we're stuck, you're still working. Lord, we pray that in community we would find the answers that we need, whether it's just a hug, a conversation, just prayers from others. May we reach out to each other in community. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. I don't think there's a better way to end Ruth, the study on Ruth, than take communion. Here's the really cool thing with, with the 
with Ruth and with Jesus is that everything that we see in Scripture is always done in community. Very seldom in Scripture do we see like the lone wolf going out to do something. Even Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, was in community. And the, the community piece for, for Jesus when he got to the, the Lord's Supper was, this is what I've lived my life for. This is what the miracles, this is what the whole focus of my time, these three and a half years of walking with you in this public ministry was all about. It was all about this moment. And the interesting piece was the disciples didn't catch that moment. <laughs> like you, you have Judas who thinks he's got a better plan. You got Peter who's trying to rally the troops going, let's make sure we stand up. When's, when do we get to be the king and have the kingdom and everybody respect us? And you got Jesus who looks at his disciples and goes, just so you know, my body's going to be broken for you. Like, no greater love has a man than when he lays down his life for a friend. And Jesus looks and goes, man, I call you my friends. Like, I'm more than willing to give my life as the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate lamb. It's going to change the trajectory of what believing in God is. Because out of that last supper, we have the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then we're thrust into church, the bride of Christ. And even with us, with all of our flaws that we might think we have as churches, Christ is still proud of the bride. And so today, as, as we partake communion, my hope would be that the story of Ruth would run in your mind, that kinsman redeemer, that I'm so low, now I'm in family. Because that's the heart of the Gospels. What we read in Ruth was, is the heart of the Gospels. It's a great Old Testament reference to, to who Jesus is. So I, I'd love for you to peel that first layer the the layer of the the bread you've heard me say before one of the things that i always love about the the bread is we understand the bread we don't understand it from a physical standpoint but we understand that it it was going to cost that it was a sacrifice we can remember if we attended church for a while, Sunday school, we can remember the lamb and the sacrifice outside the temple. We can get that. And we can kind of make sense that Jesus is the ultimate lamb, that his body was broken. We can come to grips with that because it's, it's somewhat understandable for us. What I love is that it bridges the humanness with the spiritualness that God went, Jesus, who's 100% man and 100% God, there needed to be two pieces of this. And, and so I, I, I want you to, to take the bread. I want you to break it, which is always a great symbol for us, his body that was broken for us. 
And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body that is broken for you. Let's take and eat. Now, Jesus, when it got to the cup, he was like, I have eagerly waited. Like, I, this is my moment. Because what Jesus knew was, this is going to restore that relationship that God had with man. For 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was silent. God is a communal God. That silence would have, would have hurt God. God wants to commune with his people. Think back to Genesis 1 and 2. And, and so Jesus said, man, this cup is the, my body, which is broken for you. And then he went, this cup is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. It, it means then that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That you and I don't earn more or less of God's love. God's love is constant. And his forgiveness always is there. And so as you drink the, the cup, the juice, may you reminded, be reminded today that you are forgiven and that God loves you unconditionally. Let's take that together. Lord, thank you for the celebration of communion. We count it a great privilege to look at each other as Paul tells us to and proclaim that you are a God who's alive and not dead. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.